I'm back. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, what is our phone number? 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So glad to have you with me. It is six after the hour. Let's get started. There is so much. Uh, man, we got to catch up on a bunch of stuff that happened while I was gone last week. I will get it. Away. Thank you very much, though, to Alan Sanders for filling in last week. I, I needed the break, and uh, my my producer, he and his wife had a baby. It was all complicated for him to try to cut up best ofs, and Alan was able to be here all week, uh, and I appreciate him and, and Jim keeping the fort manned while I was away for a week, uh, and, and would have had Chris Burns probably fill in for a day, except he was with me, so... Uh, it was it was a good time, and I appreciate everybody sticking around. Now, let us get into, first of all, where do I even begin? There's so much. Um, one of the things that I think we need to begin with is the mask stuff. And, and so I was in Hilton Head, and the mask requirement uh, was mandated by the local authorities in Hilton Head. If you went into any public building, other than a restaurant where you were going to eat, you had to wear a mask. Uh, we went to several restaurants, and we did outdoor seating at all except one. And that one promised social distancing, and we couldn't tell, and it was very awkward. Uh, and and we left and vowed never to go back. We got takeout from there. Everywhere else was public. Uh, here in Georgia, the, the messaging is muddy. The Atlanta mayor wants everyone to wear masks. MARTA is mandating in the Atlanta area, that is the, the metro train system, subway system in Atlanta, you've got to wear a mask. The city of Savannah is imposing masks. Here in Macon, where I am, the mayor of, of uh, Macon, Bibb County, uh, Robert Rickert, uh, issued an executive order encouraging people to wear masks, but saying that he doesn't actually have the power to enforce it due to the governor's order, uh, which is technically accurate. Uh, is some stores are mandating it, and essentially what the mayor of Macon is asking businesses to do is to mandate mask wearing in their businesses. And he, the, the mask situation we need to confront and discuss very briefly. And the reason I say that is because if you go back to February and March, you had uh, not just uh, the U.S. Surgeon General, but you had Dr. Fauci and the vice president and the talking heads in the media, all of them saying there's no need to wear a mask, that wearing a mask uh, really won't help you with the virus. The people who need the masks are the first responders who need the N95 masks, and the um, and, and there's just no reason uh, for you to wear a mask. In fact, uh, Zeke Emanuel, you know, uh, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel helped design Obamacare. He was on Wolf Blitzer's show on February 24th on CNN. And here is what uh, they played a clip of the vice president saying, let me be very clear. And I'm sure the physicians who are up here will reflect this as well. The average American does not need to go out and buy a mask. And Blitzer asked uh, Zeke Emanuel, is this true? And, and Emanuel says, it's true because wearing the mask is going to not prevent you from getting the virus. It, the people who need to wear masks are the people who have the virus. And since most people, you know, I, I don't know most people, but there are people who have the virus and don't know it, and they're not going to be donning the mask. So the public running out and getting a mask is not going to help. Blitzer says, you can't breathe in the virus. Is that what you said? It doesn't. Emmanuel, no, no, you can breathe in the virus. It's not going to protect you. In general, it doesn't protect you. I, I think as the Dr. Duchin said... Uh, it's got to be very secure. You've got to have an N95 mask that filters out the right particles and could get on your hands and then later you touch your face. 
Blitzer asks, if you had an N95 mask, would that protect you? And Emmanuel says, I don't think so, and it's not recommended. If you have the virus, that's when wearing the mask is going to be beneficial for patients in hospitals, for example, or patients in long-term care facilities. And remember, the vice president said there are 40 million masks, but, you know, personal protective equipment is also gloves. It's the gown. It's the whole armamentarium that we have. Having the mask is absolutely critical. Running out of them would be a, a disaster. So the advice in the media at the time was that you did not need to wear a mask. Sanjay Gupta, uh, the medical advisor on CNN, with coronavirus cases rising daily, people are looking for ways to protect themselves. Masks continue to be one of the most common topics we get asked about, and I understand it. After all, people want some sense of control, and wearing a mask is such a tangible thing. But these don't provide lots of protection from viral particles, which can sometimes get around or even through the mask. Think of it as a physical barrier instead of something airtight. You don't need to wear a mask. Uh, The Washington Post as well. The Washington Post actually ran a story. Uh, Let me see. I've got this uh, from uh, March 2nd. If you're not already sick and you're not a healthcare worker, you don't need to wear a mask and you certainly don't need to buy every box your local pharmacy has in stock. That was the advice from the media, from the medical community, from the vice president, from Dr. Fauci, from the Surgeon General on down. Everyone was very consistent at the time. You don't need to wear a mask. I mean, the the reality is in February and March, the talking point was don't wear a mask, uh, don't hoard masks. Now, Dr. Fauci has since come out and said that uh, one of the reasons they didn't want people to wear masks is because first responders needed them first. But you had the Surgeon General come out in February and say masks won't help you. You had Sanjay Gupta on CNN come out and say masks won't help you. You had Ezekiel Emanuel, the, the, the healthcare expert the media loves, uh, Rahm Emanuel's brother, the guy who designed Obamacare, come out and say, you don't need to wear masks, they won't protect you. Everybody came out and said, don't wear masks. Well, here's the thing. The data has changed. And the media has done a very bad job of acknowledging that they advanced flawed data. One of the problems we're dealing with with this virus is that the data has changed constantly. Uh, Every day a new study comes out. Every day a new report comes out. Uh, And the media has gotten so politicized. It's like the hydroxychloroquine stuff. Uh, There were some initial studies in Europe that came out that said hydroxychloroquine was shown to be beneficial if taken early. The president started talking about it, which made the media need to push back on it. So the media found all the studies from when hydroxychloroquine is given late in advanced COVID-19, showing that it not only doesn't do good, but could potentially kill people, and ran with those stories to try to discredit the president. Well, now we have American surveys that have come out from healthcare institutions like the Ford Institute saying actually hydroxychloroquine is good and does speed up recovery if administered early, right when symptoms start. That's the caveat there. And the media has largely glossed over all of that to try to get the president. And the same here. The media is now making a really big deal about the president wearing a mask the other day. It was a great big headline that the president wore a mask after telling everyone not to wear a mask. But it wasn't just the president telling people not to wear masks. It was the media telling people not to wear masks. Now, I'm an advocate of wearing masks, and I want to tell you why. And I want to tell you where things have changed. Part of being a grown-up means when new data comes in, 
you assess the new data based on the old data and potentially change your mind. And a lot of people are hanging on to the statements of February and March, and they don't want to look at the new statements. Here's what we now know. And I want to go back to the Ezekiel Emanuel statement. This is from February 24th, where Ezekiel Emanuel was telling people not to wear masks. Here's what he said on why you don't need to wear masks. If you have the virus, that's when wearing the mask is going to be beneficial. If you have the virus, that's when wearing the mask is going to be beneficial. Now, why is that? Because if you cough in a mask, it's just like covering your your mouth with your hand, except the germs aren't getting on your hand, they're getting in the mask. And when you exhale, if you've ever worn a mask, most of you now by now have put on one of these masks. What happens if you wear glasses? They fog up. Now, why? Because most of the water vapor is going up and down. It's not going out. It can't go out because there's a barrier there. So it goes up and down. The viral particles are also follow the laws of gravity. What goes up must come down. So when the virus particles go up or go down while you're wearing a mask as opposed to out front, they're more likely then to fall dramatically as opposed to spreading 6 to 12 feet. So the virus still gets out of the mask. It just doesn't go as far, which minimizes uh, how far it can travel and who it can impact. It's also not going on your hand or into your elbow when you cough because it's going directly into the mask, which you then wash or dispose of and you wash your hands. Now, here's what we know that we did not know in February and March. What we know now is that most of the people who have the virus don't know they have the virus. They're asymptomatic or they're pre-symptomatic. We, we know two things now. Let's distinguish between being asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic. Asymptomatic people are people who have the virus, test positive for the virus, and never have symptoms of the virus, or they have mild symptoms. They think they have allergies or something else. Those people can infect other people, but they're not infecting them at a high rate. Asymptomatic people are still contagious, just not as contagious as we first thought. They never know they have the symptoms, though. They never know they have the virus. So if everyone is forced to wear a mask, the people who are asymptomatic, who are contagious, who don't know they have the virus, they, too, will be helping contain the virus. But then there's the other class of people. The other class of people are far more dangerous. Those are the pre-symptomatic people. Pre-symptomatic people have no symptoms of the virus either. The difference between asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic people is that pre-symptomatic people are highly, highly, highly contagious. In fact, when you get the flu and you have the symptoms of the flu and you know you have the flu, that's when you're most contagious to the people around you. We now know from COVID-19 that before your symptoms present, when you have the virus but you have no symptoms of the virus, that is when you are most contagious with COVID-19. That is why COVID-19 spreads faster than the flu and kills more people than the flu. Because when you have no symptoms at all and you have it, you're highly infectious if you're pre-symptomatic. Now, the difference between asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic is pre-symptomatic people are going to get the symptoms. They just haven't gotten them yet. Asymptomatic people are mildly contagious and never get the symptoms. Pre-symptomatic people are people who are going to get all the symptoms and are highly contagious before they get the symptoms. In either case, there's a common thread here. You don't know you've got the virus. So if everybody wears a mask, 
then people are able to um, or are able to contain the virus. Why? Because when they breathe out or they cough or they sneeze, a lot of particulars trapped in the vi- in the mask, or it goes up or it goes down. It doesn't go forward out in out, out into where it gets trapped by the air and and floats along the air. I hope that makes sense to you. Because the data has changed. What has not changed, though, is the arrogance of some politicians and of the media in dealing with this. There is not a recognition from the media that they screwed up and got it wrong. What we're hearing from the media now is an attack on the president for having told people not to wear masks when the media itself had people on television, on MSNBC, on Fox, on CNN, on ABC, CBS, and NBC, all of them saying don't wear masks. All of the experts were on TV saying don't wear masks. Sanjay Gupta was on CNN saying don't wear a mask. Ezekiel Emanuel was on MSNBC and CNN saying don't wear a mask. The Surgeon General was out saying don't wear a mask. Dr. Fauci was out saying don't wear a mask. Uh, the, the Vice President was out saying don't wear a mask. Now, the Vice President and Dr. Fauci were very nuanced in what they said. Uh, at the time, it was the people in hospitals who needed the masks. It was not the general public because there wasn't community spread at the time. Well, now the situation has changed. We now know that most of the people who are contagious don't have symptoms and don't know they're sick. So the best way to help them prevent spreading the virus when they don't even know they have it is to put a mask on. We also now know that we've got a supply of masks out there that people can can get access to that they didn't have a few months ago. We also now know that the virus is spreading in the community. The data has changed, so the advice has changed. The overwhelming problem here is really a lack of trust of the experts. People don't trust the experts anymore. More. On either side, nobody trusts the experts. Nobody can trust the media because the media is so busy playing tit for tat with the president. The media doesn't actually want to get you the facts out there, and the facts have changed. The The data has changed. Every single day, we get new studies coming out saying uh, new things about the virus we did not know. And our job as human beings is to take new data, and based on new data, decide should we change our minds there will be some people who never change their minds on masks but the data overwhelmingly shows that in other countries that have mandated masks they're doing better than we are in taiwan kids are starting to go back to school and baseball season has started they've had uh, one person die in the last week of covid 19 taiwan has done remarkably well you know what taiwan did it made everybody wear masks and everybody wash their hands And everybody keep distant from each other. In this country, we haven't been able to do that. There is an overwhelming distrust. There's distrust of politicians. There's distrust of the media. There's distrust of the experts. There's distrust of of individuals. There are real problems that we're going to have to deal with in this. Uh, One thing we can all do, though, is recognize that the data has changed. And so the advice has changed. There's not some grand conspiracy here. It's just we know more now on July 13th than we did on February 24th when the vice president and others were saying don't wear a mask. They've changed their mind. Maybe we should be willing to change our minds as well. There's no reason being dogmatic in the face of a virus. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. Yes, I actually am back and you can call me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Um, I, so, okay. Uh, more than one person emailed me, uh, during the last segment about, uh, the masks and the original advice 
and the studies uh, that showed that masks weren't particularly effective. Now, uh, there is some level of disinformation out there, uh, some of which has come from a right-wing uh, physicians group saying that uh, masks don't work and the CDC has studied it and, and masks are bad. Uh, and the issue, a lot of it has to do with this cloth masks, uh, the homemade cloth masks. Cloth masks are not as good as the surgical masks you can buy or, or the, the copper or silver infused masks that you can get online now. Your standard thin cloth masks do, that you can make at home uh, don't do a lot of good in protecting you from the ingestion of viral particles. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the studies do show that the homemade cloth mask can mitigate you having the virus and expelling it to other people. You got to remember there are there are two different things that, that you got to focus on. One is ingestion of the virus. Uh, you ingest the virus. The other is expulsion of the virus. You expel it through coughing. There are two different things. A cloth mask, like the CDC studied and, and many of the other surgical masks out there uh, that are studied, do not necessarily prevent you from ingesting the virus from someone else. What they do, however, is they mitigate your ability to expel the viral particulate in your water droplets. The virus particles are tiny, but the virus particles do not float out of you on their own. They are embedded within the water vapor of your mouth. When you go outside on a cold day and you see the water vapor, if you've got the virus, all of those tiny little microscopic drops of water vapor have the virus in them. And what a cloth mask can do is help you redirect the flow of your breath. Just again, you wear glasses and, and they steam up. And it also will, to some degree, per, slow the ability of the virus to, to transmit beyond the mask. So that you got to distinguish between the two, the expulsion and the ingestion of the virus. That's where the conundrum comes through. Cloth masks can't be effective, some people would argue, because they don't filter out the tiny particles and they're extremely tiny. Now, this is from Stanford. And by the way, this is from the group that's skeptical of the spread of the virus. Uh, but most of the particles leave the mouth and nose in larger droplets that become smaller through evaporation as they move away from the body. Trapping the droplets with the mask means not nearly as many viral particles escape. So when the parties at a gathering are wearing well-constructed masks, it provides a layer of safety. If two people are wearing masks, the viral particles can travel about five feet away from each individual. When an infected person is not wearing a mask, the particles can ultimately float about 30 feet away and live up for about 30 hours based on what we know. This is the latest research. This is coming even from the skeptics at Stanford University. Now, I, I did not intend to start the show today on the mask thing, but it is really ridiculous, I, I think, as the media chimes in on the president. But I, I want to tell you something else that I think is really ridiculous and, and what really frustrates me. The number of people on the right who ridicule Joe Biden for wearing his mask who are now praising the president for wearing his mask. When Joe Biden wore his mask, a bunch of people ridiculed Joe Biden for wearing a mask, said it was street theater and it looked weak. The very same people, you know, Twitter has a long memory. 
And people were able to pull up the tweets of, of people, some prominent blue check marked conservatives who ridiculed Joe Biden and said he looked weak. Now talking about the president, well, this is literally, this, this is, I'll wear a mask now that the president's wearing a mask. Why must you be so into a cult of personality, people? Just think for yourselves. Part of our problem today is nobody wants to think for themselves anymore. They're just letting other people lead them around. Welcome back. The phone number if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to drop this up because there's other stuff I want to do, but but I just, I found this and want to read it to you real quick. There are several strands. This is from the University of California. There are several strands of evidence supporting the efficacy of masks. One category of evidence comes from laboratory studies of respiratory droplets and the ability of various masks to block them. An experiment using high-speed video found that hundreds of droplets ranging from 20 to 500 micrometers were generated when saying a simple phrase, but that nearly all these droplets were blocked when the mouth was covered with a damp washcloth. Another study of people who had influenza or the common cold found that wearing a surgical mask significantly reduced the amount of these respiratory viruses emitted in droplets and aerosols. But the strongest evidence in favor of masks comes from studies of real-world scenarios. The most important thing are the epidemiological data. Because it would be unethical to assign people to not wear a mask during a pandemic, the epidemiological evidence has come from so-called experiments of nature. A recent study published in Health Affairs, for example, compared the COVID-19 growth rate before and after mask mandates in 15 states in the District of Columbia. It found that mask mandates led to a slowdown in daily COVID-19 growth rate, which became more apparent over time. The first five days after a mandate, the daily growth rate slowed by nine-tenths of a percent compared to the five days prior to the mandate. After three weeks, its daily growth rate had slowed by two percentage points. Another study looked at coronavirus deaths across 198 countries and found that those with cultural norms or government policies favoring mask wearing had lower death rates. Two compelling case reports also suggest that masks can prevent transmission in high-risk scenarios. In one case, a man flew from China to Toronto and subsequently tested positive for COVID-19. He had a dry cough and wore a mask on the flight, and all 25 people closest to him on the flight tested negative for COVID-19. In another case, in late May, two hairstylists in Missouri had close contact with 140 clients while sick with COVID-19. Everyone wore a mask and none of them tested, none of the clients tested positive. Now, that being said, we must move to the New York fixation because the media is so excited uh, that there have been no deaths of COVID-19 in New York. They're calling it a success. They're calling the New York situation a success, and now they're going after Florida. And in going after Florida, they are attacking Ron DeSantis. And it is remarkable how they're ignoring places like California that are led by Democrats and fixated on Republican states like Florida. Uh, My buddy Steve Krakauer put up this tweet after uh, Valerie Jarrett um, cheered on short-term sacrifices saved lives. Those short-term sacrifices being all those senior citizens, I'm sure, who died in nursing homes. Here's what Steve Krakauer wrote. More people died with coronavirus in New York City with a population of 8 million than died in Texas, 29 million people, Florida, 21 million people, California, 39 million people, and Georgia, 11 million people combined. Now, those are the population totals. Let Let me read this to you again. More people died with coronavirus in New York City than Texas, Florida, California, and Georgia combined. 
And yet the media seems to be heralding New York as some sort of says. Now, you need to understand there are a couple of biases at work in the media's fixation with New York. One of the major biases of the media when it comes to New York is that the media, they're all in New York. ABC News headquartered in New York, CBS News headquartered in New York, uh, NBC News headquartered in New York, MSNBC headquartered in New York, Fox News headquartered in New York, CNN headquartered in New York, The New York Times headquartered in New York. All of these major media outlets are focused on New York City. And they were most extreme in their coverage when New York City was collapsing under the weight of the virus. And now they're looking at these other states and say, oh, it's going to happen there as well. Because they believe New York is the best. And now they completely forget the last several months of New York City. And are suddenly, oh, Florida is terrible. You you know, the death rate is going up in places again, including in Florida. But it's nothing like what we saw in New York. But the media can't bring themselves to separate their New York biases. Let me give you the numbers here in Georgia right now. Uh, We got 116,926 cumulative confirmed cases. But you know what? That's not the total number of cases in the state right now. There are several thousand cases in the state right now, but it's actually, we're doing better. Overwhelmingly, the people who are dying continue to be above the age of 65. The people who are getting the virus right now tend to be young people, and the data is not good. Uh, so the seven-day moving average uh, is delayed a little bit, and the, the high point of the seven-day moving average in the 14-day window that we have is uh, June 29th. There were 3,849 new cases that day. The next day, 3,753. Now, when I left on vacation, the, the, num- the high point was 3,000. No, 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 I'm sorry. The high point was 2,956 cases. We are since gone up into the 3,000s. Georgia is not doing well with the virus right now. Uh, I frankly think the governor is wrong in not mandating masks at this point. I think that the science is overwhelming uh, that masks actually do reduce the spread of the virus. And I think we really should. And there are a lot of people who will say, wait, 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 California, the governor mandated masks and the virus still escalated. Yes, The virus is still escalated in California overwhelmingly among people who weren't wearing masks despite the governor's order. I think uh, actually committing to wear masks is going to save people, but that should not overshadow the fact that the media has been doing a remarkable damage control for Andrew Cuomo in New York, largely avoiding uh, a discussion of anything related to New York that could make New York's governor look bad. They're perfectly willing to throw de Blasio under the bus. I, it is mind-numbing to me. While I was gone last week, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, while I was gone last week, announced that uh, they would allow Black Lives Matters protests in the city, but nothing else. No large gatherings except Black Lives Matters protests, which, by the way, is unconstitutional. You can't distinguish one gathering and say we can have this because of historic racism. We can have these protests, but we're not going to allow large gatherings of other people. He's been systematically rounding up Jewish residents of New York who have dared to pray together. The media has largely given de Blasio a pass on all of this stuff because, again, they don't want to make uh, Andrew Cuomo look bad. They don't want the fallout to touch Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo goes on Chris Cuomo's show and gets these softball interviews, and and no one really wants to focus on 
uh, how bad the situation was in New York and, frankly, how remarkably better the situation is in other states, including Florida. There have been over 15,000 new cases of the virus in Florida in one day yesterday. The high water mark in Florida. And you know what? Deaths are trending up and hospitalizations are trending up, but not at staggering rates. In fact, in, in some of the places... In, in some of the places out there, in Texas, for example, uh, where hospitals are being overwhelmed, what they're finding is hospitals are being overwhelmed in border areas of Texas where the fallout from the Mexican viral situation is impacting the hospitals in Texas as people cross the border to try to get medical treatment in Texas. They're filling up hospitals. Are there other hospitals in Texas that are filling up? Yes. In the Dallas and the Houston area? Yes. The problem here is that no one wants to give real perspective on the virus. Everybody's in their tribal side, and the media is on the tribal side of Andrew Cuomo and the Democrats. And everything outside of New York City must be portrayed in the worst possible light, and everything in New York City must be portrayed in the best possible light. In the same way, a lot of the president's supporters wish to dismiss the virus and say it's no big deal when it's actually far worse than they would acknowledge, but far less bad than what the media would acknowledge. I mean, listen to this media montage we got together. Uh, of how the media is still covering the virus. Governors across the country and some of these hotspot states that it's good news that it's just younger people because they have a, a better survival rate. That is the fallacy. The president also points out the coronavirus death rate is down. That's true for now. But the death toll, you can't celebrate it right now when you're seeing people heading into the hospital. Because we've seen this story before. In some ways, it never really ended. In a lot of ways, it is worse than ever. And of course, as we see younger people infected and going into the ICUs, it spreads to older populations. That death rate will change. These people go home. These people infect their parents and their grandparents. Those people get sick. They end up in the ICU and they either die or they take it from somebody else that could have used it. So actually the virus has become more dangerous because it can infect more people. It's more easily able to take root in the community. So it's changing in a worse way. This is going to be catastrophe upon catastrophe. And just to say, hey, look at the death rate now is, is extremely superficial. Does the U.S. need another stay-at-home order? If the virus continues to rage like this, we have no choice. The White House and their calculation, this is about trying to instill a sense of normalcy. And we all know that life can't really feel like it's back to normal. It can't feel, Americans can't feel that they have the virus under control. We have absolutely zero chance. And by zero chance, I mean zero, Z-E-R-O, zero chance of moving past this with Donald Trump in that job. Death rates are going to go up following all of these large infections. And Dr. Fauci, again, is doing what he's been doing from the beginning. He's been telling you the truth and you haven't want to hear it. That, that, that's Joe Scarborough there at the end. Uh, I, I would just note that Dr. Fauci was one of the people who early on told, told us not to wear masks. Dr. Fauci is not perfect. Uh, in fact, the administration is turning on Dr. Fauci to some degree as Dr. Fauci's got a little more vocal uh, about the virus. Uh, Admiral Brett Girard, who is a great interview, uh, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago on this program. Uh, he wants to get kids back into school, and, and he's been saying that, you know, Dr. Fauci... Uh, covers one aspect of this. Uh, the big debate here is about getting kids back into school. Uh, listen to Bregerar. Um I, I want to emphasize, uh, I'm a pediatrician. We have to do this safely, but kids not being in school risk their social and emotional health. 
uh, risks many people with nutrition, uh, the recognition of child abuse, child sexual abuse. Uh, it's really important to get kids physically back in school, but we do have to do that safely. And the first thing we need to do is we need to get the virus under control. Uh, when we get the virus more under control, then we can really think about how we put children back in the classroom. Um, we know from other countries that particularly young children do not seem to spread the virus. We know they don't get sick. So we're learning a lot from looking at Sweden and Finland and Japan about how to do this safely. So um, it, is, it is a health reason to get them back in school, but it's got to be done carefully. The CDC guidelines are good. And the guidelines aren't changing this week. These are more uh, guidelines that are amenable to school districts actually implementing them. Uh, school, uh, the uh, CDC guidelines tend to be a little bit academic and long. Um, these are going to be much more concise so people can really follow them and understand them. You know, Brett Gerard is a good guy, uh, and he is a pediatrician. And people are freaked out about sending their kids back to school. We're concerned about sending our kids to school. I think most parents are. And in, in fact, there's polling out of Texas today that has Joe Biden ahead of Donald Trump. Now, I don't actually believe the polling. It's summer polling, and summer polling has a Democratic bias. It actually does. And I, and I don't mean that as a partisan. Historically, polling in the summer does tend to skew towards the Democrats. Uh, Republicans are on vacation. They're not answering the phone. There are reasons for it. Uh, but the, the trend lines are there to show Biden surging in places like Georgia and Texas and elsewhere. Uh, we'll get into in the next hour. It, overwhelmingly, it has to do with the virus and parents worry for their children. Parents worry for their children. Will they be able to go back to school? Will your kids be safe? I would note that uh, the American Academy of Pediatricians has come out and said that we need to get kids back into school, particularly elementary school kids. We do. There is no significant data that shows that kids transmit the virus. And that gets drowned out uh, that elementary school kids in particular don't seem to be transmitters of the virus. In fact, in Sweden, if we want to look at Sweden, which I don't think actually is a model for anybody to follow, uh, but uh, in Sweden, one of the things they did do that does seem to not have any repercussions is elementary school kids went to school. Older kids mostly stayed home or they would rotate in and out of schools, but younger kids could go into school, and in going into school, uh, they were able to uh, learn and not get the virus and not transmit the virus to teachers and others. Because for some reason, reasons we don't quite understand, this virus doesn't seem to affect kids. Now, some kids get it. Some kids do get it. Remember, by the way, the, the hysteria over Kawasaki syndrome that that uh, a bunch of kids were getting Kawasaki syndrome. It, 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 it's um, one of one of the syndromes you can get from high fever and the like. It turns out it wasn't related to COVID-19 at all. The media ran with that story while I was on vacation last week. I don't have my fingertips on it, but there was a story last week. Uh, Britt Hume circulated it. Uh, it was from, I believe, the New York Times showing that it turns out that the kids who were supposedly getting Kawasaki syndrome from COVID-19 were getting it elsewhere. Uh, it wasn't actually related to COVID-19. COVID-19 certainly can circulate among kids, but overwhelmingly, it's not. And that matters tremendously. And we should be able to get our lives back together and our kids back to school because of that. Now, how we do it and what the guidelines are are yet to be determined. But, you know, there's this entire population of people out there called parents 
who overwhelmingly have these things called jobs that they can't go to if their kids are home. We got to find a way to get this done. Hey, hey by the way, you, you know one of the easy ways to get it done? Wear a mask. Well, the president is headed to Atlanta. Um, eh, this it, It's not a good sign that the president's campaign has decided they need to spend money in Georgia. I mean, objectively so. You may like the message, uh, but it's not strategically good. I was in Hilton Head last week. Uh, I was there all week. My wife and I went out to dinner one night, and they had the Savannah TV station on. And there, it was the CBS Evening News. Was it was Nora O'Donnell, uh, who, who's the, the anchor there? Uh, and this ad played a couple of times. Let, let me play you the audio of this ad. You have reached the 911 police emergency line. Due to defunding of the police department, we're sorry, but no one is here to take your call. If you're calling to report a rape, please press 1. To report a murder, press 2. To report a home invasion, press 3. For all other crimes, leave your name and number, and someone will get back to you. Our estimated wait time is currently 5 days. Goodbye. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. Now, I'm playing it again because I need to now read you the text overlays. You have reached the 911 police emergency line. Due to defunding of the police department... The initial scenes are protesters holding up defund the police signs. Sorry, but no one is here to take your call. If you're calling to report a rape, please press 1. And then there are scenes of the riots. To report a home invasion, press 3. People smashing windows of stores, and then it says Joe Biden supporters are fighting to defund police departments. Violent crime has exploded. You won't be safe in Joe Biden's America is the the tagline at the end. Okay, there are a couple of things here, and and I want to spend a little more time on this in the next hour. But it it is, uh, Georgia should not be a swing state. That the president's campaign is spending money in Georgia means it's not spending that money in Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Arizona, or other state, Colorado, North Carolina, Florida. He's spending it in Georgia. Uh, There are three things that candidates have, uh, time, talent, and treasure. You have uh, a fixed amount of time. You know when the election is going to be in November. You have talent, uh, and your talent, you can hire and fire people to run your campaign, and you've got treasure, and that treasure is of a limited sum, and right now, frankly, the Democrats are raising more money than the Republicans. So every dollar that Donald Trump spends in Georgia is a dollar he cannot spend somewhere else unless he takes some of the talent from his campaign and reassigns them to raising more money to then spend everywhere else. And those people then reassigned don't have the time to spend on what they were otherwise going to do. That's running running uh, a, a an ad in Georgia, you may like the message, you think may think the message is effective, but it's a bad sign that he's having to run ads in Georgia. The president is coming to Georgia this week. That, too, is not a good sign. Uh, the last major presidential visit during a campaign year of a, of a president uh, was, uh, when was it? Was it Bill Clinton coming through? In 96, it was at play. I mean, George W. Bush made, made visits. Every president has made visits. Barack Obama has come as well to do fundraising, uh, but not explicitly in campaign years to campaign to try to get votes. 
Barack Obama didn't bother because he knew Georgia wasn't in play. Mitt Romney didn't bother because he, too, knew Georgia wasn't in play. They would come for fundraisers to raise money from donors in the state, but they wouldn't do big swings through the state. The, the president's coming to tout his transportation agenda in the suburbs. It's a message designed for suburban mothers. Suburban mothers right now are more concerned about getting their kids back to school and whether or not the virus is going to spread. Uh, there are certain things that need to be done along the way. Now, all that said, uh, we got a lot to get to in the next two hours. I'll take your phone calls as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. But I, I just, I got to call your attention real quick to this story from, from CNN. Let me just read you the headline. Nicole Thea, 24-year-old YouTube star, dies along with her unborn child. YouTube star Nicole Thea has died at the age of 24 along with her unborn baby. The London-based influencer's family confirmed the news on Sunday in an Instagram post stating that Thea's unborn son had also died. Uh, the cause of death is not yet known. When are the pro-abortion activists going to assail CNN for this story? Uh, when, when are they going to come after CNN for this sort of stuff? Because is this not a recognition that a child has died, not, not, not a fetus, not a clump of cells, but a child has died, uh, really disrupts the whole abortion message over at CNN. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Remember me? Glad to be back with you. The phone number, if you want to call in, we're actually taking your phone calls. Uh, whether I want to hear from you or not, you're allowed to call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The Washington Redskins have announced they are abandoning their name. The Braves, by the way, are not abandoning uh, their name. Uh, the Braves are not abandoning their name. They are considering whether or not to get rid of the tomahawk chop, which they should not do. Uh, I, I, I am a fan of the tomahawk chop, and, and you're not going to get people uh, to, to stop going to the TP doing the tomahawk chop. And by the way, just, just full disclosure here out of the gate, I refuse, and I'm trying not to use profanity on this radio program. I, I refuse to call it truest park. I will not do it. That is the most stupid, the stupidest name for a bank ever. Uh, truest bank. Uh, you, you take sun trust park and you name it true and you claim that it was focus grouped you people are a bunch of lying crooks um it is yeah i will call it the tp not truest park uh you go watch the braves at the tp that is what we're going to talk about now uh, i want to focus on georgia momentarily uh, i i want to tell you if you weren't here in the first hour i i am going to to disagree with our governor who i very much respect and like but i think it's time to mandate masks in georgia uh, the cities are doing it. We're getting back into this weird area where, where every city is acting differently. It's confusing everyone. Uh, the governor does have statewide guidance, but at this point, I think that the, the body of science shows that uh, mandated masks actually do help curtail the virus. We need to curtail the virus, but we got bigger fish to fry. I want to play you this clip. Uh, this is from Fox 5 in Atlanta on a voter registration issue. When Ron Timms checked his mail Wednesday... He found something for Cody Timms. Cody doesn't get much mail. Cody is a cat. He died 12 years ago. The family keeps his ashes in this green container. A great cat, indoor, outdoor, 
loved his family, loved the neighborhood. He was 18 and a half when he passed away. So the Tims were surprised and a bit amused when they saw what came in the mail. We have a voter registration application for Cody Tims. It even came with a return envelope. How'd this happen? I mean, it's not reality. He's cat. Here he is. And he's been dead for a long time. Yes. Okay. I, I, I out, out of respect for the fact, I'm, can, can we, I, you cremated a cat and got an, er, I, we, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being disrespectful and I don't mean to be. But yes, you know, so we moved into, we moved into our neighborhood, moved into our house and there's a, a, a cross in our backyard and, and the family buried their dog, made a cemetery for the dog, the family who lived here, who, who built the house, uh, from whom we bought it. Uh, we, we've got a pet cemetery in our backyard. And a couple of years ago that the families moved back to Washington state where they're from, their daughter brought her boyfriend here to see the house she grew up in. And uh, to see her dog's grave in the backyard. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, well, yeah, we got pet cemetery in our backyard. Um, but nonetheless, uh, so how is this happening? Well, uh, so uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, has decided uh, because Republicans in the legislature were very upset about. Uh, him sending out uh, absentee uh, registration forms to everyone. Uh, and let me let me pause here. This is not contrary to what uh, a lot of pundits would tell you. The concern had nothing to do with the uh, with voter suppression or trying to minimize the number of people who were voting. In fact, it turns out uh, turnout was at a record high. Uh, and Republicans aren't upset about turn, uh, the turnout being high despite the pandemic. The problem from the Republican perspective is that the um, the number of people who applied for absentee ballots overwhelmed local boards of elections. You see, it, it's easy for the Secretary of State to send out forms and get you to fill out your uh, ballot, your absentee ballot application. The problem is that it is not the Georgia Secretary of State who actually processes the ballots. It is the uh, local board of elections. And local boards of elections tend to be understaffed affairs. And when they're flooded with a bunch of absentee ballot applications uh, by people who otherwise would not have filed their absentee ballot application, they get overwhelmed. And in the metro area in Cobb and Gwinnett and Fulton and DeKalb and the like, the boards of elections were so overwhelmed with absentee ballot applications that, that they did not have a chance to process them. And some people showed up on election day who had filed their absentee ballots and their paths crossed with their ballot in the mail. And they showed up. They had to vote provisionally, which which tied up the election. It created a mess. Now, those local boards of election are paid for by county taxpayers, not by the state. The counties take care of this stuff. And to the extent that there's a problem at the local board of election, it is your county's problem. It is not the state's problem. But Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, wanting to make it convenient for people to vote absentee, uh, sent out absentee ballot applications, and uh, local boards of elections were overwhelmed. And so Republican officials, uh, the the Speaker and others, uh, all but uh, chastised publicly the Secretary of State over having done that. 
And essentially, if you want an absentee ballot application, go get an absentee ballot application. Your, uh, go to your local board of elections. But a, a Democratic front group has decided to enter the fray here. And the Democratic front group is sending voter absentee ballot applications across the state to people. Now, how are they doing it? What they're doing is they're going through uh, mail clearance houses. Let, let's say, so let, let me replay this clip for you. When Ron Timms checked his mail Wednesday, he found something for Cody Timms. Cody doesn't get much mail. Cody is a cat. He died 12 years ago. The family keeps his ashes in this green container. A great cat, indoor, outdoor, loved his family, loved the neighborhood. He was 18 and a half when he passed away. So the Tims were surprised and a bit amused when they saw what came in the mail. We have a voter registration application for Cody Tims. It even came with a return envelope. How'd this happen? I mean, it's not reality. He's a cat. Here he is, and he's been dead for a long time. I, 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 I'm going to offer an educated guess. And I don't know uh, that I'm accurate, and I want you to know that going into it. But how does, how does a cat that has been dead for a, more than a decade get an application uh, for voter registration in the mail? How on earth does this happen? First of all, uh, you will note it's not an application from the Secretary of State's office. It is an application from an outside group trying to get people to register to vote. They, they don't say that in the report, but it's there. So what more likely than not happened is that at some point in the past, while the cat was alive, the family entered uh, the cat into something uh, that required the cat's name, whether it was a, a food giveaway from a from a pet food company or a toy cat toys or something. Uh, there was some some voter file. There was there was some mail file on which they were entered twelve or thirteen or fourteen years ago, and they had to put down the cat's age. So the voter registration firm that the Democrats are using more likely than not went out and got a mail file, a house file uh, from various ad companies. You can buy these things. If you want to do targeted advertising like you can buy these things. And they saw that uh, Cody was at the time probably 12 years old, let's say. And you fast forward, that's 12 years ago. So Cody is now over the age of 21, can definitely vote, uh, has never filed a voter registration. They've cross-referenced. Uh, they know that that family still lives there. They've got the name of that person, Cody, tied to that house. They don't understand that it's a cat because it was entered into a mail file. The family was probably getting mail for Cody the cat uh, 12 years ago from, from uh, something they entered the cat into. Uh, they probably don't even remember having done it that long ago, and yet the mail file has never been updated. Many of the vendors who build mail files never bother to update the mail files, and they sell the mail files uh, to political campaigns with outdated information. They make a killing doing it. So the political campaigns bought the mail file, realized that, hey, here's someone, Cody, 12 years ago was 12 years old and uh, would definitely be a voting age now. Let's get that person registered. So we're going to send them a voter registration or an absentee ballot form 
And in this case, it's a voter registration form uh, to try to get him get him registered. That's more likely than not what happened. Uh, y'all don't understand how much of your information is accessible out there. And and you're, I think people are increasingly aware of it because of uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google and the targeting of ads. So, my, my uh, you know, we, we went to the beach last week. We were in Hilton Head last week. And, and Chris Burns, uh, who fills in for me sometimes, the president of Dynamic Money, they were with us uh, for vacation. And uh, he and my father-in-law were talking about a financial management firm my father-in-law could not remember the name of the firm, nor could Chris, and, and ultimately it came to them. And shortly thereafter, Chris started seeing ads for that financial firm uh, on social media. He's like, how did this happen? Well, the theory, the way it's been explained to me by, by uh, the people at Facebook is what happens whether you're on Twitter or Google or whatnot, you enter a Google search. You can't remember something. You, you, you're you thinking ni- neither he nor my father-in-law could remember the name of this firm. It finally came to them. What probably happened is I'm guessing it was my father-in-law Googled to remember the name of the firm. My father-in-law and, and Chris both shared the same wireless IP address because they were on wireless network at this rental house. Someone from the, the rental house had entered the name of that firm. That firm does aggressive social media marketing. And as a result of that, uh, one and two were connected. Clearly, people are interested or talking about this firm. We're going to now display it on social media when they go to it. And so Chris saw the ad. But I, I, I suspect there's more to it than that. And the reason I suspect that is because my wife and I were at dinner on Tuesday night. And I mentioned while at dinner to my wife, uh, the website Shopify. Uh, Our daughter wants to sell some stuff online. She doesn't want to use Etsy. I mentioned Shopify is possibly an option. And I'm now seeing Shopify ads and Instagram. Now, I did not Google Shopify, nor did my wife. And there are a lot of people who are increasingly of the belief that the the advertising companies, the, the social media companies, are listening to our microphones on our phones. And I suspect most of you have had this experience where you have talked about something and suddenly you see ads for it. Now, there's something called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon where you hear a word that you haven't heard before and suddenly you hear it all the time. Or and, and this applies there as well. You, you talk about something and suddenly you're seeing ads for that. You've probably seen ads for it before, but now you're hyper aware of it. And that's what the ad companies would say. But it's just far too darn coincidental that so many of us engage in conversations and then suddenly start seeing ads for stuff. Uh, like my wife. So so I've got a Rectech uh, grill now. I love my Rectech grill. Uh, in fact, I, I smoked a brisket for 20 hours. We took it to the beach. It, it got devoured on my Rectech. I love it. Now, but my wife now, because I have was searching Rectech so much and then bought Rectech, uh, my wife now, because we have a shared wireless IP address, now sees Rectech in, in her ads on Facebook and, and Instagram. It drives her bananas. If I start talking about something and seeing something and researching something, she sees the ads for it. It's very hard to surprise her now because she, she realizes what's going on. Uh, and it, it, it's starting to, to make people really skeptical of privacy. Well, your privacy has been exposed long before the Internet. All the Internet has done is, is made it easier to be able to get access to all this stuff. Mail houses for years have, have sold your information to political groups. So, for example, the Republicans and the Democrats know if you're a member of the NRA. Uh, 
They know what cable channels you tend to watch. They know what magazines you tend to buy. They know if you buy newspapers. They know where you buy your gas. They can track all of this stuff. All of this stuff is readily available for sale for them to enter into databases to build a psychographic profile of you. A psychographic profile just tells them in detail who you are. So if they want to go out and, and the Republicans want to send an ad that specifically targets gun-owning pro-lifers who shop at Kroger, they can do it because they can pinpoint you that precisely. And the Democrats can do the same thing. The Democrats want to find a an, an anti-gun Subaru driver who shops at, at Aldi, they can do it because they got all of that information in voter files. It, it, you, are, you are exposed, and so was this cat who got a voter registration form from a Democrat who probably, they bought a mail file and they wasted their money on this, on this uh, information because it clearly hadn't been updated from wherever they got it from. So a week ago today, Charlie Daniels died. Uh, you know, it, it's he's been fascinating to interact with on social media. Uh, we, we've interacted a few times in the past. Uh, a, a, a wonderful, decent man happened Monday uh, last week when I was on vacation. I'm sure all of you uh, know the song The Devil Went Down to Georgia. A uh, heck of a fiddle player he was. And uh, just, just uh, I, w- I wanted to note uh, his passing last week while I was gone. Uh, good man. You, you know, so I wrote something this morning, and it'll make a lot of you very mad. And I, I, I left feeling very strongly before I went on vacation. I knew I needed a break. Because I'm, I'm kind of tired. You know, we used to have news cycles that moved at such speed that you could not, um, it, it could could not um, speed up. I, 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 you, you couldn't slow down. The news just came at such a rapid pace, and then suddenly we got into the virus, and everything just ground to a halt. And I, I, I it, it's been bothering me. And the two sides fighting with each other constantly over the dumbest stuff has been bothering me. And I went on vacation. I kept my mouth shut and I stewed over it for a week and it just got stronger and stronger. The feeling got stronger and stronger. And I just think that, um, man, I, I, things suck. And not only do they suck, uh, but I am frustrated with all sides. I am mad at all sides. I am I, I am infuriated with the incompetence of Republicans right now uh, who are going to get annihilated in suburbs across this country uh, because they won't act because they're waiting for the president to direct them. And the president is distracted and not focused. And, and I would feel more engaged in this election if I felt like the Republicans were engaged in this election. I, listen, uh, say what you will, but I have done campaigns for years. I have run federal campaigns for Congress. I have run state campaigns. I've run statewide campaigns. I've run local campaigns. I've run congressional races. Uh, you name it. I, I have run campaigns. Short of the presidency, I, I have run campaigns. And it is not a good sign 
when a candidate should be winning a state and is having to run ads in a state. Uh, and the president is having to do that. The president is having to do campaign swings through Georgia. That should concern every single last one of you that Georgia is in play for the president uh, because Republicans are losing the suburbs. And it frustrates me to no end uh, that everyone out there wants to dance around and pretend that everything is okay and, and, and it's in the bag and don't worry about it. And he's losing to a corpse. I mean, we've got a coffin-contained cadaver for the presidential candidate on the Democratic side, and he's ahead in the polls. And the man doesn't have a pulse. It is weekend at Bernie's over on the Democratic side, except it's weekend at, at, at Biden's because Bernie lost. And it is infuriating to me. It is infuriating to watch the press do what the press is doing and lie repeatedly and pretend to be experts when they're not. I mean, the nonsense from Don Lemon last week while I was gone. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if you, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. You know what? I, I, I don't even need to play this in this clip. Jesus Christ was not perfect while he was on earth. Don Lemon is an anchor on CNN who at one point was headquartered in Atlanta where he was surrounded with Christians, which is a a four billion person global religion, the largest religion on the planet. And he's too stupid to know that Jesus Christ was a perfect person. He comes up. This is a man people get their news from. And CNN allows this. They allow Chris Cuomo to have on his brother, Andrew Cuomo, and ask him rather incestuous questions uh, and pat him on the back and give him attaboys and never ask him a tough question. I mean, the entire world seems like it's lost its mind. I am frustrated with the Republicans and the Democrats and the press and, and and all the little leg humpers out there who just just want to want to ride the leg of their perfect race. Just it, it infuriates me. And I took a break from it for a week, and it was glorious, and I wasn't going to say anything. And when I came back, I decided, you know what? This is still on my mind, and so I'm going to have at it. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you what I really think. And you all may hate my guts, but it's about time we had this conversation. So let's have a conversation, shall we? It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So I, I was gone for a week. Uh, and I have discovered this phenomenon of, uh, and it's mostly pastors who have talked to me about this. Uh, but, uh, my buddy, Chris Burns, uh, went with us to the beach he and his family. And, and he also said the same thing that, um, that you need a two week vacation if you can swing it. Now I'm a rate in a ratings based business. And during the middle of the year, there's just no way I could swing a two week vacation. It would be a disservice, uh, to uh, local stations around uh, the nation where the show broadcasts. If I was gone for two weeks and at the end of the year, I will probably wind up the, those last two weeks, Christmas and, and, uh, new year's, the way ratings work is at the end of the year, you've got a ratings book. And your last couple of weeks of the year are called the holiday book, and nobody really cares about them. And that's why a lot of radio show hosts take the last two weeks of the year, and, and they take off. And I will probably wind up doing that. Uh, but I can't, can't in the middle of the year afford to be gone for, for more than a week. But I needed the break. And while I was gone, I did a lot of thinking. I did not do a lot of watching the news. Uh, in, in fact, I, I tried as much as possible to avoid it. Because I was on vacation and I have a very hard time unplugging. Uh, And I went away and I'm still struck by my interview with John Bolton. 
That's where I am here. Let, let me start with that. If you weren't here for my interview with John Bolton, in fact, I don't even know that I wound up playing it for you guys because it was so, it, it frustrated me so terribly. I interviewed him on my evening show and I was going to play it on the morning show and I just decided it wasn't worth it. Uh, and the reason it wasn't worth it is because I was bitterly disappointed in, in John Bolton. So he wrote the book, The Room Where It Happened. And in the middle of the book, John Bolton writes about the president uh, learning that China essentially is running concentration camps for uh, the Uyghur population of Western China. And that the president so wants a trade deal with China that the president decides to undermine American efforts for sanctions against China for running concentration camps. And, and now, turns out, by the way, that the data doesn't back that statement up. The president did take some action uh, and, and did allow sanctions to go forward regarding that stuff, contrary to what Bolton said. But I asked John Bolton to explain why he left. And he said that he left because he had done his best to steer American foreign policy with the president, but the president decided he wanted peace with the Taliban, was inviting them to Camp David, and that was too much for John Bolton, and so he left. So I asked John Bolton then to, to go into the China stuff and explain who the Uyghurs were and what was happening to them and explain the horrible situation. There's forced sterilizations. There's slave labor camps. Um, people die. There's a surveillance state. And, and I asked him, why wasn't that the bridge too far? Why, why, why didn't you leave there? If you know the president is turning a blind eye to concentration camps, why wasn't that enough to get you to quit? And his response was essentially that uh, you can't judge him unless you've walked in his shoes. And some people wanted him to stay. Some people wanted him to leave early. Some people wanted him to leave later. You can't really judge his point of departure. And I think, you know what? You want us to do that with the president of the United States. You want us, based on your word, to judge the president whose shoes we haven't walked in. And when I asked him about uh, that, he's like, well, you can't judge me. And I had always respected the guy. And I always thought he was kind of one of the, the, the bold people out there. And realized what a charlatan he is. And it, it, it kind of left me frustrated in that I essentially think a lot of the conservative movement these days is full of hucksters and grifters and, and con men trying to profit off of you. And many of you don't even realize it. And many of you buy into it. And, and it just frustrates me that I see this and so many other people don't. And it also frustrates me that we have a president of the United States who not in times of crisis, actually been a good president. Uh, tax reform, the economy, all these things were good, but in crisis, character is revealed, and, and the president who really doesn't have good character, we're realizing he isn't really fit for crisis. And you can be mad at me for saying this, but we've got a virus that is running amok in this country, uh, that is causing parents heartburn over whether or not their kids can go back to school, that is killing people, that is spreading across the country, and there's so much disinformation coming out on all sides, and, and the president could be bold and clear, and he hasn't been. 
it's been way more self-interested. And frankly, I think if the president could exercise real strong and bold leadership right now with his virus, the president could handily win re-election, and he's not doing it. And it's not just the president, it's his administration. It was in February and March that his Surgeon General said we shouldn't wear masks, and now suddenly the Surgeon General wants you to wear a mask. But my real problem isn't actually with the president. My problem is with a lot of the apologists around the president. Do you remember in 2016, there was that at the time anonymous essay called the Flight 93 election that basically uh, we are in a, a, a war for survival and we've got to wrest controls away from the left wing hijackers and take over the plane or else. And these people who bought into the Flight 93 premise, they have crashed the plane with none of the valor or heroism of the people on the real Flight 93. Their ideas are completely incompatible with our Republican setup in this country, our, our democracy. You listen to these people and their nationalist conservative hybrid model where they want the, the uh, national bureaucracy and, and the White House to set the theme of national greatness for our country. They can't even fight a microscopic virus, and yet they think the bureaucracy is somehow going to set a course for national greatness? I mean, when you listen to the rhetoric of some of these people, their ideas are incompatible with a flaky democracy that every two years hands power to the other side. And the president himself has played into this and has allowed people on the left time to fundraise and outmaneuver the Republicans. And and the president, you can say, is, is, is not in charge of his campaign, and it's true, but ultimately the buck stops with him, even though he acts like it doesn't. But you pay attention to his campaign, and I'm getting text messages on a daily basis to get free T-shirts from the Trump campaign, uh, email, text message, spam uh, out the roof. Meanwhile, the left isn't spamming people in text messaging. They're going door-to-door of registering voters. Uh, one of the saving graces for the GOP right now is that Republican voter registrations are ahead. But hey, guess what? Republican fundraising is so far behind. Senate Republicans are privately telling senators, if you don't figure out a way to maneuver with a with a deficit in fundraising compared to the Democrat, you're going to lose. The Republicans, if the election were held today, would lose the Senate, would lose more seats in the House, would lose the presidency and would lose a number of state legislatures. And the Democrats would be the ones able to redraw the lines for Congress and state legislatures and lock in gains for a decade. And no one seems to be paying attention to this fact. And everyone wants everyone to to believe it's all hunky-dory. We are living in an electoral Potemkin village on the right. But I'm not done because then you got the Democrats to deal with. Do you know the difference between Joe Biden and a tomato? Tomato is not actually a vegetable. You've got all these people on television from reliable sources at CNN to MSNBC and the like who have spent inordinate amounts of time telling us that Donald Trump has mental problems, is mentally unfit to be president of the United States. Remember the guy on Brian Settler's show on on CNN who said Donald Trump has killed more people than Hitler? And and they ran it on social media. They promoted the man's clip and this, oh, uh, Brian didn't actually hear what he said. He would have corrected him otherwise. You know he heard what the guy said. They wouldn't have pushed it out on social media otherwise. And that guy was saying the president is mentally ill. He's some sort of psychiatrist. And the president has all sorts of problems. Have you not paid attention to the guy running against the president? The man is a cadaver who is confined to a coffin. They have pulled his face back to make it look like he's alive and it's not doing very well. Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. The man, he's got to be spoon-fed information. 
and and the people who question the president's mental fitness don't even want to point out the fact that the Joe Biden of today is not the Joe Biden of four years ago. There has been serious mental decline there. And Joe Biden would be hijacked by the left. He would be unable to repel left-wing advances in his administration. And you can claim all day long that it turns out the Democrats are actually fairly moderate. And yes, a lot of them are. But the loudest voices, the most influential people in the Democratic Party are radical progressives who don't want to just tear down statues of Confederates, but they're already tearing down statues to George Washington. So we've got a presidential administration that doesn't seem to have a clue how to win in November, thinking, oh, we beat Hillary, we'll beat Joe when Joe is not Hillary. And you've got the Democrats running a man who, for all intents and purposes, is three feet into a six-foot grave with a bunch of uh, left-wing activists controlling his campaign. And i got to choose between them. And then you got the media, which so hates Republicans and, and, and the president in particular that they won't even be honest about what's going on out there right now. On CNN, you had people in February and March parroting all the information about don't wear a mask, and now they're coming out, they're ridiculing the president for not wearing a mask until this weekend. And don't give me, but the administration was saying this too, because I realized that people in the administration were saying it as well, but when is the last time CNN believed anything that came from this administration? When is the last time that that CNN ever acknowledged that this administration said something truthful? And now suddenly they're like, oh, it's not us, it's them. They're the ones who are telling you to wear a mask. No, CNN, you had experts on who are Democrats telling people not to wear a mask. And now suddenly you're shaming people for not wearing a mask. And and the healthcare experts out there, the healthcare experts who tell everyone uh, that you need to be socially distanced, cheering on the riots and protesters standing shoulder to shoulder without masks on. Why should we believe what any of these people say? If they're going to shape their advice based on the partisan affiliation of people in the streets, the pride marchers and the protesters get a pass, but the small business owners, they're to be condemned for not socially distancing? Why should I take any of those people seriously? And then when we're not squabbling about the masks and the virus, we got the stupid cancel culture festival going on out in public with a bunch of stupid people being led by even more stupid people on whether or not you should cancel people. And what it actually amounts to is the left trying to decide who can be on television. Do you know I got canceled? I used to be on Meet the Press at least once a month. And then I had the audacity to say I'd vote for Donald Trump in 2020. Haven't had an invite since. And the right tried to cancel me when I said I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump in 2016. They were unsuccessful in canceling me. Let's not pretend that this let's not pretend that this cancel culture only exists on the left. People on the right cancel people all the time. They don't want to hear. You, you got to turn the radio. You got to boycott. You got to go after their advertisers. It happens on the left and the right. But the left has more power to be able to do it because the left has all the influence behind the scenes when it comes to TV networks and newspapers. So the left is agitating right now. I don't know if you saw this last week. There was this article in Harper's Magazine uh, denouncing cancel culture, and then the cancel people came for the cancel culture, the anti-cancel culture leftists. And they, they actually the people who responded to the Harper's letter. So let me back up so you understand this. There was a letter in Harper's Magazine. No one reads Harper's anymore, but they put a letter in Harper's Magazine, J.K. Rowling and a, a hundred some odd other academics and leftists, all of whom were against cancel culture. So a bunch of people responded with their own letter saying cancel culture isn't real and then refused to put their names on it lest they get canceled and wanted to shame the people who were opposed to cancel culture. This is the the stupid leading the even more stupid. I'm just tired. I had a vacation, 
to reflect on this. And I think I hate everybody in politics right now. And I am tired of the BS from the media where they can't get their story straight and everything's got to be anti-Trump. Frankly, I am tired of this administration not being competent enough to give us uh, advice on the virus. you got three different people from the administration who will come on TV and give you three different pieces of advice. These people can't get on the same page. I am tired of the Democrats pretending that they are not radical leftists who want to destroy this country. And right now it seems like we got to choose between a party of people who hate everyone, not them, and a party of people who hate America itself. I, I feel like I'm a man without a party at this point because right now I'm kind of disgusted by everybody in politics. And I suspect a lot of you are as well. And I suspect a lot of you kind of resent uh, having to cheer on a political party that doesn't seem like it even wants to win in November. You know, I'll tell you the only thing that really matters right now is what you are actually doing in your life. Too many people on both sides of the aisle, and this is why we are where we are. I'm convinced of it. Too many people on both sides of the aisle have abdicated their responsibility and sent it off to Washington, D.C. and decided to let Washington, D.C. decide everything. And the fights are all over Washington, D.C. And if you haven't paid attention, Washington, D.C. is pretty incompetent these days. And nothing gets done in Washington. And we would be way better off if we all decided that we would take responsibility for ourselves in our local communities and try to improve our local communities instead of waiting for Washington to fix anything because Washington isn't going to fix a thing. On the right and the left, we are surrounded by incompetent morons who are grifters and hucksters and trying to make a dollar off of you by whipping you into a frenzy off grievance culture. No one wants to be honest with you anymore. No one wants to tell you the truth. And the media is all about defeating the president. They could care less what the truth is. If the truth might help the president, they'd rather give you the lie. And I am just deeply frustrated by all of it. And I took a week off and I wasn't going to say anything. And every day that went by of me beat off, I thought, you know what? I'm going to say something. And finally, here's your day. I'm back from vacation and I'm doing my reset here and telling you what I think. What I think right now is that it all sucks. But you know what? It's going to get better. It will. It has to because Jesus is coming. Oh, all right. We got to get on to other stuff. What the heck has happened with with Kelly Loeffler and the the WNBA? I'm trying to get up on the story. She's going to join me this evening, and then uh, I I will re-air the interview for you guys in the morning. So she she is upset. She's picking a fight over the Black Lives Matter situation. I got to tell you guys. And I don't want to be a broken record on this, but uh, none of you should support the organization Black Lives Matter. You you just shouldn't do it. It is a Marxist organization, and and I don't say that lightly. It is a Marxist organization. And uh, that people are are being shaken down in support of it, and this is where where Leffler is is, uh, raising concerns uh, Leffler is, um, she is frustrated with the WNBA, uh, essentially supporting Black Lives Matter as the organization, not the statement, but the organization. And let's be clear here, she is doing this as she and, and Doug Collins both are taking a very clear law and order stance. Both of them, and I want to get into what's happening in Atlanta uh, when we come back. I want to spend more time 
there uh, than I've got now. But but Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler are both doing the hardcore law and order bit. And you know my suspicion is it's going to work. So I, I mentioned to you the the data showing right now the president is not doing well in Georgia. Frankly, the president is not doing well in Texas. I, I don't believe the polls that have Joe Biden ahead in Texas. But he's not doing well in Texas, the president. And it has to do with suburban voters. But here is the most interesting data. Republicans not named Trump are doing better than the president. And in so doing, they're distinguishing themselves. Those Republicans who have identities of their own are not being blamed by voters. And those who I, whose identity is joined at the hip with the president are being blamed by the voters. There is right now, whether you want to believe it in your circle of friends or not, uh, there is some backlash in the suburbs to the president, and it has the Republicans in the state of Georgia concerned. Uh, and you have got behind the scenes a number of Republicans in the state privately whispering that they are afraid that Republicans in the state of Georgia could lose the House of Representatives because suburban angst against the president is that bad right now. And I talk to these people regularly, and the polling they're seeing is terrible. Uh, it is recoverable, though. And, and what I keep telling everyone is that it's July 13th now. It is July 13th. And since July 13th, or, or, or from July 13th until November 3rd, We've got plenty of time for the president and his team to turn this around. The question is, do they want to? And increasingly, there are Republicans who are frustrated with the president's team acting like they're cashing in and not actually trying to get the president to win. I, I still think we need a campaign shakeup for Team Trump moving forward. I think we need one. When we come back, though, let's focus on Georgia. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, it is six after the hour, the third hour of the program, and I want to focus on Georgia. I've been gone for a week and haven't had the opportunity. So here we go. Welcome. Uh, the phone number, if you want to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. As you are undoubtedly aware, in Atlanta last week, on July 4th, Independence Day, a mother was, uh, where, where, where was the road? Uh, University Avenue or some such in, in the downtown Atlanta area. Yeah, University Avenue. She had pulled off the interstate and was attempting to turn around uh, in a parking lot across from the Wendy's where Richard Brooks died. And she went across a makeshift barrier that protesters had made, and they opened fire on her and killed her eight-year-old daughter who was headed into the third grade. The police had abandoned the area. And who could blame the police for doing so? Uh, it wasn't just that, though. Uh, we also have a situation in the state where the governor had to call out the National Guard. 
because uh, the law enforcement building on the southeast side of Atlanta was ransacked by protesters. The Department of Public Safety's headquarters, it's in southeast Atlanta, uh, a large group ransacked it, smashed the windows, and damaged an office with a homemade grenade. So the governor deployed a 1,000 National Guard troops to Atlanta to protect the state capitol, other government buildings, and the governor's mansion. And the mayor of Atlanta uh, is blasting the governor for doing so. But the mayor of Atlanta who I have uh, complimented in the past for her handling of various things with the city, she has clearly failed. She has failed to keep the people of Atlanta safe, and it's not just her. It is the district attorney in Fulton County as well has failed to keep people safe. Uh, They have uh, degraded and devalued the police in Atlanta to the point the police don't feel safe showing up uh, because they're afraid they're going to get charged with murder if something happens. The police don't want to go to jail and be around the violent felons who would kill the police once they get in jail, uh, all because the police did their job, but the DA running for election and the mayor grandstanding decided to drag down the reputation of the police and, and, and go after police officers. The result is that uh, the city of Atlanta now has a crime problem. You know, Atlanta's not alone. New York City is in a 57% increase in violent crime year over year from last year to this year. The city of Atlanta has seen it. The the governor had no choice to call out the National Guard. It is unfortunate that we got to this point. That eight-year-old girl should still be alive. And the eight-year-old girl would still be alive if the police had cracked down on the protesters taking control of that part of the city. And the police would have cracked down on the protesters taking control of that part of the city had they felt the mayor had their back in doing so, but the mayor did not have their back in doing so, nor did the district attorney. And it escalated to the point of an eight-year-old being gunned down by protesters, violent protesters. Let's get rid of the idea that police are dispensable. There are bad police officers. We saw one in the George Floyd video. But we also know that the police can't act uh, when they are constrained by government forces. We, we see this situation. Ahmed Arbery down in South Georgia. The police wanted to act. The police believed that there was enough to arrest Ahmed Arbery's killers. And it was the district attorney who essentially told the police not to bother. And we know this because a lot of them have spoken up and leaked. A lot of them spoke up and said behind the scenes on background to reporters that there was something there and and there needed to be action, but they were constrained by local officials, local elected officials. The local elected officials are failing us. I personally think, and I don't want to keep 
beating a dead horse on this, but but I, I think as as far as officials go, it's probably time for Governor Kemp to mandate masks, not just encourage them, but mandate them, because there are a whole lot of people who are refusing to wear them. And I can't blame the people who refuse to wear them, given the muddied message that has come out of the media and Washington, D.C. I mean, for months they told us not to bother, it wouldn't do any good, and, and there is actually overwhelming evidence at this point that that they do do good. But people are hung up on that. It's going to take more than an encouragement to get people to wear them. We've got failures of government these days. Now, and this this goes back to, to, to my last hour. Government across the board, I think, is failing us right now. Uh, I, I think in Washington, D.C., you know, gridlock isn't bad. Uh, gridlock is actually a feature, not a bug, of our constitutional system. Uh, nothing can advance in Washington, D.C. through Congress unless uh, both sides can get together and, and gain some level of consensus. It is very hard to get stuff done in Washington, D.C., and that is a feature, not a bug. Uh, it is easier to get things done at the state level. Because federalism matters, the states matter, the states are semi-sovereign entities, but at the state and local level, we're also getting mixed messages, we're getting hyper-partisanship from various corridors, and we got to rely on the leaders to actually lead, and sometimes the leaders can't lead because the people they would lead would would flat-out revolt. Not violently, mind you, but just willful disregard of the law. Let's say the governor of Georgia mandates masks tomorrow. And half the people in Georgia refuse to wear masks when they go in public. What is the governor to do? Round them all up and put them in prison together so they can share the virus? There are constraints, and and, and the governor recognizes this, I think. That's why he's encouraging people to do the right thing. He's going on a tour of the state, encouraging people to wear masks, but he don't want to mandate it. It was, it was a very similar philosophy philosophically for him on why he took so long to order the state shut down because he was afraid if he did it, no one would pay attention to it. And frankly, a lot of people didn't. But he had to act eventually. And he has to act in the face of mixed messages in Washington, D.C. And a president who wants to undermine him if he does something that the president doesn't like and do so publicly and a base of the Republican party that is wrapped into a cult of personality where if the president says jump, his supporters ask how high, uh, nobody wants to think for themselves anymore. No one wants to make up their own mind. No one wants to take the evidence and, and, and change their mind as the evidence changes. No one wants to process the evidence. Everyone wants to be outraged all the time, angry about everything. Uh, and, and, and it, it, listen to only those voices that tell you exactly what you want to hear. And I got to tell you, by the way, it, it's it's pretty difficult these days to be someone in talk radio who is a conservative and a Christian, but uh, knows that probably half my audience is mad at me because I'm not telling you what you want to hear. I, I'm telling you what I think, and, and you can change the channel, and that's fine. But there are a whole lot of people out there who are so scared of losing their audience that they don't want to tell you what's actually going on. They want to tell you what you think is going on. They want to placate you and and, and they want to cater to you. And they don't actually want to tell you the, the relevant stuff, the relevant information. And that frustrates me more than anything else. Y'all, I do not want a bunch of sync offense listening to this program. I, I, I don't need your attaboys. I don't need your pats on the back. They are nice on occasion. Uh, 
and I am perfectly happy to allow you to call in and disagree, and we can talk it out. And that's the way the world should work. We should be willing to disagree and be civil and respectful and maybe not change each other's minds. But the the whole idea that I got to tell you what you want to hear, and and that's what's happening so much in in the political parties these days as well, is everybody wants to tell you what you want to hear as opposed to what you need to hear. People aren't interested in telling you the truth. They're telling you what you think is true, whether it is or not. And it is really hard, particularly if you're a politician these days, to try to lead through that. If the governor of Georgia came out tomorrow and told you all to wear a mask, I think he would be in the right. And I also think a sizable portion of the public would ignore him. And it would be on local businesses being the bad guys to enforce it and local law enforcement enforcing it. And so I get his concern. I I, I think the data is overwhelming. But I also look, I, I've got people who are listening to this program right now who are friends of mine who are texting me telling me, no, the data is wrong. And, and they're citing sources, uh, many of which I dispute. It is amazing the disinformation campaign. And that's the other thing here. If, if the Russians and the Chinese could be so engaged in our electoral process, how do we know they're not spreading disinformation right now? I had somebody on, on Facebook send me a private message the other day with a link to resources. It is a conservative activist group that claims to be a group of doctors. It is a group that actually argued back in the day that HIV did not cause AIDS and that vaccines do cause autism and now saying that masks do nothing. Why would I want to listen to that group? Except it's a conservative group. So clearly that they must be telling you the truth because they're conservatives and progressives lie. No, they're not. They're actually lying to you. It is really hard to figure out what the truth is. And you know, I, I'm 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 not perfect at it. And I don't want you to hear me thinking that 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 I, I feel smugly superior or something, because I don't know. Half the time I come in here and have to tell you I said something yesterday that was wrong because the data changes and I gotta change with it. I'm at least trying to do my best to tell you what you need to know and give you a a, a fair, competent analysis of it uh, other than just trying to be in the amen corner with the rest of you. What I do know at this moment, though, is that politicians across the board, left, right, and center, Democrat and Republican, are failing you because half of them are scared of you and half of them are scared of the mob. And so no one wants to be a leader anymore. Everyone is abdicating responsibility. Where did all of the grownups go? I have no idea where all the grownups went. But we're seeing this happen in Atlanta. The grownups went away. And they wouldn't have the police back. And an eight-year-old died because of it. And that's on the political leaders in Atlanta. That little girl's death is on them. That's on the mayor and the district attorney. It's not on the police. Because the police knew if they went in there and they tried to shut that, that down, that they would be overridden by the mayor. And if things got out of hand, the district attorney would prosecute them. They all know it. They, they've seen it happen in the last several weeks. The grown-ups have failed to be grown-up. They're catering to the mob. They're catering to the crowd. They're, they're catering to, to the people who don't want to be told something they disagree with, even if what, what they disagree with is, is actually true. We live in a society these days that, that is challenged uh, when it comes to facts and truth, everybody has their truth. I'm so tired of that phrase. Let me tell you my truth. You know what? There is truth and there is not truth. It is not your truth or my truth. It is the truth. And if you don't like it, uh, go somewhere else. Get a better education. Uh, embrace Jesus, who actually is the truth. If you, if you quibble with the idea that there is truth, please stop calling yourself a Christian. Because he's the truth. And so you and I have a commitment to the truth. And too many politicians these days 
would rather lie to stay in your good graces than tell you the truth. You can be a part of the program. You can call in 877-97-ERIC. In fact, let's go to the phones to Clarksville to Pat. Welcome to the program. How are you? Oh, great, Eric. I just wanted to leave a message. I didn't know I was going to talk to you. Uh, my husband's wife passed away 16 years ago. I mean, we've, he remarried me. Anyway, uh, she, he just received a voter registration for her. She's been gone 16 years. You were talking wow. about the cat, so yes. I just thought I would tell you about this. Man, uh, listen, I, I, I'm glad you did. And, and again, this, this goes, this, uh, it, it, it buttresses my presumption that what happened is that some Democratic group trying to register people to vote uh, got bad voter files, or, or I shouldn't say bad voter files, just got old information and are targeting people. They're cross-referencing the, the list of citizens in Georgia who aren't voted, who haven't voted, and and people who should be around. And that's what's happening. And, and this is this is where you get voter fraud allegations from. Pat, thanks for calling and sharing. This is what happens is is at some point someone without scruples is going to fill that out to see what happens, and it's going to cause problems. And. Uh, we we should we should expect hanky panky. You know, so I've got a piece in National Review I want to talk about when we come back about what happened in Georgia in 2018 and how the Democrats are going to. This is the Democratic playbook we're going to see. They're going to cause problems like this, and then they're going to claim that it's Republican voter suppression. And I want to navigate you through that. Uh, right now, though, I I I want to play this ad for you. David Perdue has his first ad out, and I I haven't heard it yet. With the rat- and I want to play it with you. We'll hear it for the first time. Uh, it is called Patriot. That is his first ad. Contrary to what the radical left is saying, America has been and still is the greatest country in the world. We are the shining city on the hill. Many Americans have died defending it. Now it's up to us to protect what the rest of the world envies. Economic opportunity for everybody. Limited government. Individual liberty. I will not let John Ossoff destroy the American dream for our children and our grandchildren. I'm David Perdue, and I approve this message. So a lot of people are saying, hey, notice he's not mentioning Donald Trump. Um, and yes, that's a fair point. He, he's not mentioning Donald Trump. But also the race is about him and John Ossoff, who he's mentioning. There, there, listen, there is concern. I, I just, there's no way to dance around it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I know to be true and, and not try to placate you. Uh, there are concerns among Republicans here in Georgia uh, that the state is rapidly trending Democrat, at least at the presidential level, and that that may blow back and, and hurt Republicans down ballot. But what the data also shows is that the people who define themselves as their own person, as opposed to tied to the president, actually on the Republican side, that the voters are still Republican. They just don't like Trump at this point. Now, and that's not to say you don't. I know plenty of you do. Uh, anecdote is not data. And I'm just I'm trying to tell you what the data shows. 
Now, the big difference between now and 2016 is that in 2016, people who hated Hillary and Donald Trump voted for Donald Trump. Right now, the people who hate Donald Trump and Joe Biden are voting for Joe Biden. Uh, And that's a significant data point uh, among the Republican strategists who are looking at the way this race is shaping up. It is no surprise that David Perdue is defining himself not as a uh, Donald Trump whisperer, as some people have called him, but as his own man, as Georgia's senator. And... Ossoff is raising money hand over fist. There is a uh, Ossoff is raising a ton of money. Purdue, however, has deep pockets, uh, and and he also can can do that. Purdue also is fairly popular, even in the suburbs in Georgia. People like David Purdue. You know, this is I mean, frankly, this is one of the issues that that Kelly Leffler has to deal with, not David Purdue. And I don't mean this disparaging. Please, please don't, 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 don't take this as a criticism of Leffler. The governor wanted a woman who women in the suburbs could relate to as a way to help the GOP. And I don't know that a lot of women in the suburbs relate to a uh, multi-millionaire executive, female, who's not a mom. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I just mean that people connect with people who look like them. And Leffler's got to work on that. Say what you will about Doug Collins, uh, but Doug Collins has an all shucks mannerism and a relatability that Leffler doesn't have. And it's something that her campaign is going to have to figure out. And luckily for her, they got time because that election is not until November. Purdue at the end, there's an image of Purdue and he's wearing a, a jean jacket, a, a blue shirt and a jean jacket. As he walks in the field, I'm David Purdue and I approve this message. He's otherwise in a suit staring at the camera, almost too close to the camera, uncomfortably close. Can't see any nose here. Got that trimmed. That's good. Um, but but he is making it about himself, and he wants to be in the camera because he wants to be defined by himself. Uh, and he's rapidly trying to define John Ossoff as as a tool of the radical left. And there is plenty of data out there that suggests that this could be a winning message for Republican candidates. Uh, as voters don't like the president, they've soured on the president, but they are actually scared of the left. Now, I, I, I genuinely think that the coming war in the Democratic Party is going to be epic. It is going to be worth watching. And the reason I say that is because the only unifying force in the Democratic Party right now is hatred of Donald Trump. And if he loses in November, the Democratic Party is going to be at war with itself over what it stands for. And Joe Biden is a corpse unable to lead that party forward. It is going to be tremendous to watch. So let's talk about what's going to happen. I, I've actually got a piece in National Review, in, in the magazine, no less. Uh, I'm I'm rather proud of myself. Uh, for They asked me, uh, literally, I, I kid you guys not, um, so I got an email from uh, one of the editors at National Review on the 2nd. No, 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 July 1st. Got it on July 1st asking if I could write something for them, but the deadline was the 3rd. So two days. Asked if I would write something uh, with a two-day deadline, and I said yes, and even though I'm packing up, trying to head to the beach, getting everything done so I can get out of town, I was able to do it. I got to the beach on the 4th and spent that afternoon having to go through edits. And then on the 5th, they had a, a galley copy for the magazine. Uh, but it worked out well. Uh, and it'll be in the upcoming issue, 
for National Review. And the headline is The Voter Suppression Myth. And I'm, I'm going to read what I wrote. Both parties engage in myth-making to justify defeats or amplify wins. Since 2016, media dominated by the left and sympathetic to the Democrats have pushed myths as justification for failure. Russia stole the 2016 election. It couldn't be Hillary was a terrible candidate who got beat. No, no, no. Had to be theft. Grievance increasingly fuels the American political landscape. The Republicans are fundraising off of tearing down statues. Democrats are fundraising off of beating Trump. Uh, everything is bad. Everything is terrible. Give us money and we'll solve it. And they never do. After 2018, grievance combined with white guilt gave rise to the mythology of voter suppression. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we got to go back to 2018. I'm going to stop reading and I'll, I'll just tell you. Uh, in 2018, the media became enamored with Beto O'Rourke. I mean, the entirety of the 2018 uh, off-season election cycle was a media love affair of Beto O'Rourke. He was described as having Kennedy-esque looks, and they, they ignored his uh, hit-and-run DUI. Uh, anything that that uh, made Beto look bad, they ignored because Beto was running against Ted Cruz, and the media was desperate to beat Ted Cruz. And when it was all said and done and the election was over, Beto O'Rourke not only lost but did worse in Texas than Andrew Gillum did in Florida or Stacey Abrams did in Georgia. And the white reporters from New York were overcome with white guilt that they had ignored two black candidates who actually had a better shot at an election than Beto O'Rourke. And they gave so much attention to Beto O'Rourke, a lot of money Beto O'Rourke got undoubtedly would have gone to Abrams and Gillum had the media given them an ounce of time. Well, the media can't accept blame for that, so they got to come up with an excuse. And what it was is voter suppression. It had to be voter suppression because Stacey Abrams said so. And whatever Stacey Abrams says, the media takes as gospel truth. Now, here's the reality. Stacey Abrams is not really good at voter registration. The Democrats have poured money into her efforts. And... She has outperformed Republicans at registering voters, but she's failed to turn them out. So in 2014, Georgia saw a 50% uh, rate of registered voters voting, and in 2018, it was 61% of registered voters participated. Minority voter participation set new records. Minority voter registration set new records. On Election Day, Stacey Abrams received more votes in Georgia than Hillary Clinton received two years earlier. But here's what everyone seems to miss. And and I've said this so much on this program, actually. Charlie, my producer, said, you're starting to sound, you're starting to repeat yourself. You don't need to go down this road anymore. Uh, it's it's time to resurrect this in, in light of this piece I wrote for National Review. Stacey Abrams' campaign and the Democrats registered almost a million people in Georgia in 2018. A million people. Do you know how many of those newly registered voters turned out? They registered Almost like 980 or 890,000 people. They came close to a million registered voters. Do you know how many people actually showed up with those newly registered voters? Less than 100,000. So out of a million newly registered voters, 
Less than 100,000 of them showed up. Abrams improved Clinton's vote by 45,000 votes. A lot of those 100,000 people voted for Brian Kemp. Instead of acknowledging that it was a waste of money and a failed effort, what they had to do was scream voter suppression. And this gives you a roadmap to where they're going to head in 2020. It's why the cat is getting a voter registration list. It's why a woman who's been dead for 18 years is getting a voter registration list. What's happening is the Democrats are going to flood voter registration files. That's what they did in Georgia. Remember, they accused Brian Kemp of purging 1.5 million voters. Well, what did Brian Kemp actually do? Uh, a law passed by Democrats in the 90s requires that if a voter has not voted in seven straight years, the voter needs to be removed from the voter rolls. And in 2015, you can only do it in odd-numbered years. You can't do it in even-numbered years. So in 2015, the 2014 and 2015 rolls should have been purged. Democrats filed a lawsuit to block the 2014-2015 voter purge. That lawsuit wound its way through the courts for a couple of years. It got to 2017. They lost, and the the Secretary of State, then Brian Kemp, had to clean the rolls from 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017. That was 1.5 million people. Normally, it's not that high. But it was that year because they had four years of voters, actually five years of voters, to clean up. And so the Democrats concocted this and, and then claimed it was a voter suppression effort. Now, that wasn't the only thing they did. Remember as well, in 2014 and 2016, Stacey Abrams flooded the voter registration files for the Secretary of State. And it was a bunch of inaccurate information. Uh, there were 53,000 voters in the pending voter registration file before Election Day in 2018. Pending voter registration files are people who they're either about to turn 18, they registered to vote within six months turning 18. When they get to 18, they become registered voters or it's people they need information from. Because remember, you got to have your social security number to vote. And overwhelmingly, 75% of the people of those 53,000 people, 75% of them had bad information, wrong social security numbers or wrong addresses. 23% of those people were actually people registered by Stacey Abrams' own New, jo New Georgia project. So 23% of the people who were registered to vote were registered by Stacey Abrams' group and they put in the wrong information and then used that against Brian Kemp, who couldn't register the people because they had bad addresses. They've never heard from them, by the way. The Secretary of State's office, some of these people were registered in 2014 and they've never showed up to vote and the Secretary of State can't find them. And so they're in the pending voter registration file, and they were all handed in by Stacey Abrams' group. But suddenly in 2018, it was proof of a voter suppression campaign. They screwed up the paperwork and then claimed it was the Secretary of State suppressing voters. And then remember, um, there was the, the, the electronic voting machine shortage in 2018 in the metro area. It caused long lines, voter suppression. People got fed up. They left. The Democrats filed a lawsuit. And they got a federal judge to impound a bunch of electronic voting machines in DeKalb, Gwinnett, Cobb, and Fulton County, claiming the machines were bad. And then they had election day and they didn't have enough electronic voting machines because the machines were impounded by a judge. They said, oh, voter suppression. The, the state hasn't given us enough machines. No, it's the Democrats had the machines locked up so they couldn't be used. That's why there were long lines. And then there's Randolph County. Remember Randolph County? Randolph County is in southwest Georgia. In southwest Georgia, the Democratic County Commission had a Democrat Board of Elections. 
that decided to shut down a number of polling precincts. And the reason they decided to shut down the number of polling precincts is because they were not ADA compliant. Americans with Disabilities Act compliant. People who had disabilities had trouble using these precincts. And the county is poor. It had been ravaged by a hurricane. It did not have the money to upgrade these voting precincts. What they were going to do was shut down the precincts won by Donald Trump. All the Republican precincts were going to be closed down. It was the Democratic precincts that would stay open. But Stacey Abrams, the ACLU, and the National Democrats rushed out that this was further proof of voter suppression. They had hired a consultant backed by Brian Kemp to shut down voting precincts, and they were going to shut people out of the vote. They were going to disenfranchise people's voter suppression. No. It was a Democratic Board of Elections and a Democratic County Commission that didn't have the money to fix up. So so they left the precincts open until after the election. And then they did wind up closing the ones that were Republican precincts. They closed all the Republican precincts. No one cared then. The national media, all of these stories I just went through, the national media reported every single one of them as if it was a real case of voter suppression. It was actually manufactured by the Democrats, knowing the media would pick up the case, pick up the story and run with it and put it in the worst possible light for Republicans to manufacture the mythology. It's not that Stacey Abrams lost, it's that voters were suppressed. To this day, you will find Democrats nationwide who believe it based on these stories. The national media working with the Democrats Generate these stories. You know, you, you talk to you, you talk to Georgia political reporters, by the way, and, and they're deeply frustrated. Deeply frustrated with the way the national media covered 2018 here in Georgia. In fact, I talked to a reporter who will go nameless, who's a Georgia reporter, well known, who was in middle Georgia and had a national reporter come in the last two weeks of the campaign, convinced Stacey Abrams had it in the bag. By the way, this national reporter is now convinced it was voter suppression that lost her the race. This national reporter came in and was convinced. And the Georgia reporter said, no, she's not going to win. We just had a hurricane devastate South Georgia crops, and Stacey Abrams is touring South Georgia telling farmers they don't have to be in the farm industry anymore. They don't need to be in the ag industry. They can go up to Atlanta and get a good job. You can't go through South Georgia disparaging farmers and expect to win. And the national reporter was caught completely clueless by this. The national reporter believed the Abrams camp. There is an underlying disdain right now for Republicans in the national press. They are not believed, they are not taken seriously, and they are second-guessed. And the Democrats are taking advantage of that by manufacturing these stories of voter suppression to try to drive up sympathetic coverage to the Democrats and explain away their losses. It is voter mythology. Remember, if Donald Trump wins in November, if he wins in November, all the polling suggests he's not going to win right now. But it's it's summer polling. The trend lines in the summer are always bad for Republicans. Let's say he turns things around. Let, 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 he turns things around. He gets focused. He, he reshovels the campaign. He gets rid of Brad Parscale. He puts in a competent campaign manager, and he wins in November. You know what the story's going to be? Voter suppression and the Russians stole it. That will be it. The Democrats cannot acknowledge losses. There has to be mythology built to explain a loss. Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate who did not campaign in key states. And guess what? She lost those states. They would have you believe the Russians knew better than Hillary Clinton which states to steal and stole those states so that Hillary Clinton lost. It is fabricated mythology. And they're going to do it again. They're going to do it to the GOP. 
They're going to do it here in Georgia. If Leffler or Collins wins, if David Perdue wins, if the president wins Georgia, it's all going to be voter suppression. And it'll be a gear up to 2022 with Stacey Abrams running against Brian Kemp. The playbook for how the Democrats will lose badly and lie about it in 2020 was written in Georgia in 2018. All you got to do is pay attention to how they concocted this mythology and then ran it nationally. And not a single reporter in Georgia was paid attention to by the national press as a result. Aren't you glad I'm back from vacation? I suspected you were. (laughs) So there's big outrage over the Catholic Church getting a billion dollars in PPP money, which reminds me, um, it looks like they're extending the program again, and if you need it, uh, my friends at, uh, at, at First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan, Georgia can help you get into it. It is firstlibertyga.com is the website. You can apply on their website. Uh, By the way, um, don't just go to First Liberty if you are a business wanting into PPP. If you're a business that needs access to capital growing, we're we're talking like in in the tens of millions of dollars range. You you need access to capital to grow your business, to invest in your business. Uh, Reach out to the folks at at First Liberty. That's what they do. They've been doing it since 1993, helping mid-sized businesses become big businesses and big businesses become bigger businesses. It is their specialty. They're good people, and they want to help. You, uh, it's not just PPP at First Liberty, it is growing your business and getting you the access to capital you need. Uh, go to firstlibertyga.com. Uh, well, so the Catholic Church got over a billion dollars in PPP money, and uh, there is outrage on the left that the Catholics got this money. Uh, so even David Graham, who's a liberal writer at the um, he's a liberal writer at the Atlantic, is lamenting uh, people blasting PPP. Because a group they don't like got money. And that really is the craziest thing here. A group you didn't like got money, therefore they're bad. Now listen, there were companies that I think uh, handled it badly. Take Ruth Chris, which wound up giving the money back. Ruth Chris, a multi-million dollar nationwide restaurant chain, was able to get money. uh, And it was big banks, like I, I think in their case it was Chase, I think. Don't hold me to that, but I think it was Chase. Uh, holds a lot of their debt, was able to navigate them into the PPP program. And a lot of small businesses couldn't. Big businesses got there first. And that was part of the problem with the program, which is why they extended it and other people were able to get into the program. But ultimately, companies were saved by getting into the PPP program. And it is remarkable that on both sides of the aisle, People are attacking companies they don't like for getting money. It's like the Goya Foods thing. That's got to be the most absurd thing I've seen. Uh, A man who has said nice things about uh, Barack Obama had the audacity to also show up at the White House and say something nice about the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and the left is boycotting Goya Foods. And how heartless is it? You've got liberals who are showing that they're throwing out their Goya food, putting it in the trash can. Why not donate it to a food bank? You've got starving people in a global pandemic, and you uppity people on on the Upper West Side of New York who want a virtue signal are throwing away your food instead of giving it to a food bank where it could be some good. Rather let the people starve than have them eat beans from a company with someone who says something nice about the president. You people are pathetic. But that's where we are. It is a cult on the left. It is a religious, uh, it, it, it really is religious for these secular atheists. The man had the audacity to say something nice about the president, so we must destroy his business. 
How dare you? There is look, there is cancel culture on both sides. You know, I've had about a dozen people. I, I wrote my piece this morning on subject. I've had about a dozen people cancel their subscriptions. They were outraged. I actually wrote that the left and the right both engage in cancel culture when confronted with views they don't like, uh, that they want to punish the person and shut them down. And a dozen people decided to cancel their subscriptions uh, because I had the audacity to offend them with what I wrote. They couldn't handle it. Uh, and the left, though, is more notorious about it than the right. And the left has more clout to be able to do it because they've got so much influence over culture and the media these days. They do it and they try to punish people. We're seeing this Goya Foods thing is absurd. It's like the pressure over the Redskins. Who cares? The Redskins, by the way, they, they've handled this badly. If, if, if you haven't heard this, the Redskins announced that they are uh, that that they are going to change the name of the team. FedEx pressured them into doing it. The chairman of FedEx is on the board of of the Redskins, is like a shareholder in the Redskins or some such. They play at FedEx Field. FedEx wanted them to change their name. They've decided to change their name, but they're not going to tell us what their name is. And the reason they're not going to tell tell us the name, apparently, some lawyer in Washington D.C has taken trademarks on, like, every single name possible in Washington. you gotta, you got to admire the entrepreneurship of this guy. It takes a lot of money to file patent or to file trademarks. This guy has filed trademarks on virtually every, the Washington Warriors, uh, the, the, the Washington Swamp Creatures, the, 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 the Washington, uh, just on and on the, it goes with what this guy has filed names for. And so the Washington Redskins are now having to fight for their trademark, for the new name that they want. And they apparently let the Washington Warriors, which allegedly is what they wanted, they let the trademark lapse like in the last year or two and now want to get it back so that they can change their name. They, You know, they should be like the Washington Swamp Creatures or something like that. Uh, the Washington Anonymous. Uh, that's what they are right now. Maybe they should stick with that one. Um, the whole, the media pressure to bear on this stuff is ridiculous. And that's essentially where we are now. Both sides want to bully their other sides. Uh, they're coming from gun manufacturers and the like, um, shutting them down on social media. Speaking of gun manufacturers, I have heard good things from multiple people in this audience who have reached out to True Precision. Uh, and and let me here at the, the end here, g- give them a shout out because they really are a great company. If you've seen me on social media, you've seen pictures of the gun I got from them. If you don't know what True Precision is, you can get custom barrels and slides and triggers uh, from True Precision. Uh, they don't manufacture guns. They manufacture parts for guns. So you got a Glock, uh, it, 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 a number of other brands. Go to true-precision.com. I got a Glock 43X from them, and the gun is a work of art. It is beautiful. It's also small. Uh, I, I needed something for concealed carry beyond my Glock 19, which just isn't convenient for concealed carry. Great gun. I, I love my Glock 19, but it's just too big for concealed carry, really. So I got a Glock 43X, uh, and I went through True Precision, and the the slide, the barrel, everything, I got to pick out the individual pieces. You can do that, too. If you want a work of art beyond just gun, uh, what you do is you go to true-precision.com, true-precision.com. And go there. You can buy the slides. You can buy the barrels. You can pick them out. They'll send them to you. And if you put in my first name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, you'll get 10% off. 
So you can get you can get a ten percent discount on your slide, your barrel, uh, your trigger. Uh, but you got to go to True Precision. It's true-precision.com. Uh, you can go to my Instagram feed at EW Erickson and, and see the gun. Just scroll through my timeline. You'll see my gun. It is gorgeous. I love this sucker, uh, and I love True Precision. I'm so delighted they're a sponsor. True-precision.com.